On this week's episode, we welcome presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. His uncle was a beloved president. His father was an attorney general, and he ran for president. Both were assassinated. He has serious ideas for a very serious time in our history. Let me welcome today the son of Robert F. Kennedy Sr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr., welcome to the broadcast. Very happy to be here with you, Armstrong. Thanks for having me. Your mother, 95-year-old Eltha Kennedy, is still alive? Yes, she is. She's actually right next door right now. What a blessing. Yeah, it is a blessing. She's been, uh, she's had an amazing life, and she's uh, she's a larger-than-life character, and uh, and an extraordinary character, and she has great humor, and she's a wonderful storyteller, and uh, she's beloved by our whole family. Is there so much pressure? Um, when you think about the fact that you, um, as a Kennedy, when you think about your uncles and your relatives um, and what has happened to the Klan, and here you are today running for president of the United States, so much has changed. What kind of burden... Uh, what kind of opportunity does that pre present for you that comes from such um, political royalty? Well, I never looked at it as a burden. I think it's a, you know, I experience it as a privilege. I think I feel like a very lucky person to have been uh, born into our family. We were taught from when we were little. We all grew up with the idea that uh, our lives would be consumed by by some great controversy and that it would be a great privilege for us to pay, play some role in it. And that uh, the fact that, you know, I, 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 I grew up in this family just gives me a whole retinue of, of access and, uh, and other privileges that, you know, that allow me to, to have, have had a very, very rich life. So I'm very, you know, it, it hasn't always been, you know, it's like life, everything in life, Armstrong, we all you know, take our legs and uh, life is a mix of of tragedy and struggle and, um, and, uh, and hopefully we can use, you know, hopefully we can treat pain as a touchstone for spiritual growth and that we can get, take those, you know, those times that are painful, those crisis times in our life and, uh, and turn that pain into and transform it into an opportunity for, uh, for wisdom. The, the word wisdom means a knowledge of God's will, a knowledge of right and wrong, an instinct for right and wrong. And, you know, we're all on different paths, but our path ultimately is is toward God and toward light. And whatever that means to each of us, we have to figure it out for ourselves. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to have a life that is filled with those opportunities for growth, but also filled with a lot of fun and a lot of richness. You know, I'm so happy you talked about transformation and growth. You know, I was just reading some of the things you said in the past, and, and whatever you said about Ronald Reagan and 9-11, Hugo Chavez uh, and your family, uh, what you may have said about vaccines and children and autism, I want to give you a chance at the beginning of this broadcast to show 
how you've evolved in your understanding, your thinking, and where you are today on these issues versus the Robert F. Kennedy of yesterday? Well, okay, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, why don't we, we talk about it issue by issue? Um, what you, uh, you know, what are you, what are you interested in? So let's, let's just start with, um, you know, some people don't understand with the autism and vaccinations, but obviously the media loves sound bites and they don't really give a person the full context to explain their position. So in terms of autism, people, kids being vaccinated and autism is brought about, talk about and discuss that with our audience so you can give us a clear understanding where you are and when it relates to the vaccines and your comments that is continued played in the press on the issue of autism. Yeah, I mean, on the issue of vaccines, my position has always been misstated on, in the press. I'm not, I've never been anti-vaccine. I'm called anti-vax. But all I've said is that we should have the same testing protocols for vaccines that we, we give to other medicines, which means uh, placebo-controlled trials prior to licensure. And unfortunately, vaccines are exempt from those. But, but And so, you know, Without those kind of tests, we cannot tell whether that product is going to avert more problems than it's causing. And, um, you know, the vaccine schedule has increased dramatically because they're very, very profitable. So we've gone from having three vaccines when I was little to having 72 doses of 16 vaccines for children today, for my kids' generation. And none of those vaccines has ever been tested prior to getting their license in a placebo-controlled trial. And many of those vaccines are for uh, for illnesses that are not casually contagious. For example, the hepatitis B vaccine, where kids are given four or five of those doses, the first one while they're still in the hospital. And that's a disease that is spread mainly through sexual transmission and through uh, intravenous drug use. And so we really need to understand its impacts on a baby, you know, who has zero risk for that disease. And um, and yet uh, we've never done that kind of testing. And, and you know, when when we that the year that we really that we changed the, the vaccine schedule dramatically began around 1989. And that year we saw a tremendous growth in chronic disease. In this country, by chronic disease, I mean neurological diseases like ADD, ADHD, speech delay, language delay, tics, Tourette syndrome, narcolepsy, ASD, and autism. We also saw explosions suddenly of peanut allergies and other food allergies. You know, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. I had 11 siblings and probably around 70 first cousins and uh and i never nobody had a peanut allergy so why do five of my seven kids have allergies well that's a question that you know we should be able to answer um the asthma exploded that year my my brother my little brother had asthma he was told by a doctor that this disease is so they will never have a cure for it because it's so rare that nobody will ever study it well today one out of every four black children in urban areas has asthma so what what happened uh the third category 
is autoimmune disease like rheumatoid arthritis and juvenile diabetes, Crohn's disease, uh, you know, lupus, and a hundred other autoimmune diseases that suddenly exploded around 1989. Oh, with autism, we went from having, in my generation, one in every 10,000 people my age has full-blown autism, full-blown, and that means non-verbal, non-toilet train, head-banging, uh, violent, uh, stemming, toe-walking, you know, hand-flapping. Uh, I, you know, you don't see people like that my age, but in my kids' generation, it's one in 34. So we went from having one in, you know, two or 3,000, one in 10,000 for people my age to one in 34 my kids' age. So what happened? So, you know, somebody needs to answer that question. We know that uh, Congress said to EPA, tell us what year the autism epidemic began. EPA came back and said 1989. It's a red line. So something happened in 1989. Well, there's a famous toxic. We know this is, you know, they're, they're, it has to be an environmental exposure because genes don't cause epidemics. Genes can provide a vulnerability, but you need an environmental toxin. So uh, there's a very famous toxicologist named Phil Landrigan that I, you know, I've brought over 500 lawsuits, including some of the uh, one, some of the most important lawsuits on environmental and toxicology issues in the last 30 years, including the Monsanto case and many, many others. And um, there's a toxicologist that we've used on many of these cases named Phil Landrigan in New York and Mount Sinai. And Phil Landrigan has done a, a, a series of papers saying, okay, what was it? What, what, could it, what are, the are the possibilities that follow that timeline? And one of those is neonicotinoid pesticides, which exploded that year. Another is glyphosate, which is the, the active ingredient of Roundup, which exploded that year. You need to find to a toxic exposure that, that affected is ubiquitous. It, it affected every demographic in this country, from Cubans in Key Biscayne, Miami, to Inuit in Alaska. Everybody was touched that year. So what could it be? Well, that, those are two neonicotinoids and glyphosate. PFOAs, which is a flame retardant, which was put around that era in uh, children's pajamas and in all of our furniture. Oh, we all have exposures. It's now in almost every big municipal water supply in this country. And there's and now I was involved in the lawsuit on PFOAs as well, a number of lawsuits. Um, atrazine, which is another pesticide that is in about 63% of our waters. You know, I, I, I do find it just, I, I find it fascinating how uh, one issue leads to another. Obviously, this is something that you're very passionate about and done your research on. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.